Solomon continues his warnings against being a fool. He says, My child, don't go along with assassins. Stay far away from their paths. They rush to commit evil deeds. They hurry to commit murder. If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Solomon shows us how foolish we are when we are greedy for money. The fate of the greedy is that while they may gain financially, they are robbed of life. Think about it. What good is wealth if you have no life? To press the foolishness of this way of living, Solomon says that even simple birds are wise enough to avoid being trapped. Are you wise enough to avoid the fate of the greedy? God will help everyone who cries out for wisdom. Well, here we are at the midway point in Proverbs chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We're looking at verses 15 to 19 this morning. And you'll notice that, that we've got lights in place so that you can read your Bible and follow along. We invite you to bring your Bibles to church on Sunday. And just a reminder of the homework I've given you, read one chapter of Proverbs every day so that you'll get through the whole of Proverbs through the course of the summer. In 1987, some of you will remember there was a movie that came out called Wall Street, starring Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas won the Oscar for Best Actor. He was playing that greasy, greedy Wall Street stockbroker called Gordon Gecko. And in that movie, Michael Douglas made famous a, a phrase that so many people know, and that is that greed is good. Now, you'll notice that I put a, a circle and a cross through it because I was afraid that somebody just might tune in to Cross Church and see this and think, oh, Pastor Allen's preaching that greed is good. So I need to make clear that I do not believe that greed is good, so I, I had to cross that out. But anyways, you get the point. This has been a, a famous, famous saying. It's something that, that you hear recited, repeated many, many times. The film came out to expose the greed and the excess of the 1980s. The 1980s uh, uh, was, was many things, but the thing that most defines that decade is that it was a decade of extreme greed. In this movie, it reveals the value system of extreme competitiveness and uh, in a, in a in a world where ethics and the law were simply ignored, people just got around it, the law and ethics were irrelevant to life. The main thing is that if we're greedy, then we'll get what we want. Now, the interesting thing is that Oliver Stone created this movie almost as a, as a parable about the, 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 the horrors of venerating greed. And he saw this in the 1980s. In fact, I believe his own father was a stockbroker. So he wanted to, to get the message out that this is all evil. But sadly, rather than it serving as a warning, it served as an inspiration, if you can believe it. 
Now, it shouldn't shock us because we know in the heart of every human is a, a bias toward greediness. If that were not so, then Jesus wouldn't have to teach us so much about the horrors of greed and the love of money. And we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Variety magazine wrote this. Though the original film was intended as a cautionary tale on the pitfalls of unchecked ambition and greed, the movie had the effect of turning Douglas's charismatic villain into a household name and a boardroom icon. It was an, he was an inspiration, it says, to the very power players and Wall Street wannabes for whom he set such a terrible example. So rather than at warning people, it inspired people. The message of greed proved so influential from this movie that it inspired a whole generation of young people to become stockbrokers and to walk, work on Wall Street. They wanted a taste of what the greasy Gordon Gecko had. Michael Douglas's clothes were copied in the 1980s by yuppies. Does everybody remember what a yuppie is? A yuppie is a young, urgent, uh, young urban professional. And these young urban professionals looked at his clothes as, quote, the quintessential financial high rollers attire. So in other words, if you wanted to appear wealthy and successful, then you had to dress the way that Michael Douglas did in this movie. Uh, some people would say you have to fake it till you make it. Dress the part, drive the car, but do whatever it takes to look like you are a success. And of course, at the, at the basis of all of this is this greed. Now, I'm sad to say that there were a number of pastors that also latched on to this evil way of thinking. And these pastors preach what we now call prosperity gospel. But I got to remind you that it is not a true gospel. It's not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says anybody who preaches a gospel other than that which was handed down to us is accursed. In other words, there's a curse on them. But these, somehow these pastors believe that they could teach people that, that God wants you to be rich in other words, you can have God and you can have money, which if you know the scriptures on any level, you know that that is contrary to what Jesus taught, isn't it? Jesus said you can't serve God and money because you're going to hate one and love the other and love one and hate the other. You can't, you cannot serve God and money. But these prosperity teachers teach us that we can have it both ways. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of pastors now who obviously are, are going to say, uh, I, I hate this, I find it repugnant, repellent, there's no way that I believe any of this, but in fact, their lifestyle would tell us something altogether different. We've got somebody from, uh, from BC, my, dad, my mom and dad's church, who, uh, who was really quite disgusted at the high, high wages the high salaries being paid to various religious organizations, to the, to the CEOs of various religious organizations and to some pastors that he wanted to start giving to us here in Winnipeg. So let me just say this. If, if having wealth is any indi indication of success, then I am a very unsuccessful person. 
I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a pastor that is trying to do the will of God. And we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. One pastor, some of you may know him. I don't often do this, but I'm going to do it this, in this situation. Kenneth Copeland, he has declared that he is, in fact, uh, a billionaire. And he would say that that's the proof that he is a man of true faith. It's the proof that he has the blessing of God in his life. I can tell you there's nothing in Scripture that would support such a twisted and horrible idea. Nothing in Scripture that could support that. Especially when you consider that Jesus, who is our Lord and our Master, he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of of Man has no place to lay his head. The Master that we follow is not a Master in love with money at all. In fact, as you're going to see in just a few moments, Jesus oftentimes calls us to walk away from it all, if that is in case, in our case, an idol. So, greed. Solomon says in Proverbs 1.19, greed robs people of life. It robs people of life. And I'm going to just show you that that the way that greed robs us is in many different ways, on many different levels. It robs us spiritually because, again, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. It robs us spiritually. It robs us emotionally, even socially. It robs us on every level of our lives. And so Solomon, in this first chapter of Proverbs, he's warning his son against the dangers of greed. He wants his son to take measures, to take steps to make sure that he doesn't fall into the trap of running after money. And can I just say this today? It's not just Wall Street uh, stockbrokers that are greedy. Everybody knows that, right? It's not just rich people who are greedy. There's a lot of people, I've known a lot of poor people over the years who are exceedingly greedy. There's, it's, greed grips the hearts of all humans. And so for this reason, Jesus teaches us that if we're going to overcome the, the stranglehold of greed, then we need to be givers. We need to understand that that's who we are. That's what we do as Christians. The Father gave his Son. The Son gave his life. And we too must give all that we are to the Lord. I love what, what Corey Tamboom once said. She said, when I became a Christian, I understood that I was to hold on lightly to things because if I held on tightly, it really hurt when God pried my fingers off of what I have. She learned, she understood that when she became a Christian, all that she had belonged to God and she was a steward of what God had given her. So we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But let's, let's quickly answer a question. What does the Bible say about get-rich plans? Because it's something that we all have experienced. We all understand that, that temptation to get rich. If you ever stay up late watching TV, I, don't, I haven't done this for years, but I remember um, that for every night, around 12 o'clock at night, an infomercial would come on telling people how they could get rich. If you just come to our seminar, come to our seminar, hear, hear my system my, my, my wealth system, 
And everybody would sign up and go to get the go, go to the, the the conference, and they'd buy the books and the package. And there's tapes and there's there's booklets and workbooks, and and it would cost you a thousand bucks, or or you could have four easy installments of two hundred and and 50 bucks, and you could get the product. Now, the only one getting rich at these conferences was the speaker, but nobody knew that. Why? Because our, our greed makes us unwise. Did you get that? When you are greedy, you have no wisdom because greed now is ruling your heart and ruling your mind. This is something that we all face, and we have all experienced it. Who doesn't want to get rich? And who doesn't want to get rich quick? Someone once said, if it sounds too good to be true, it's not, probably not true. I'm going to share more about that in just a moment. But first of all, let's just quickly get a, have a reminder of what we learned last week. So Solomon is talking to his son. And he is he's calling his son to listen to his instructions. He's telling his son, don't give in to peer pressure. And by the way, it's not just youth that give in to peer pressure. We all give in to peer pressure. We're all tempted to give in to the pressure of our peers. And Solomon says, don't. Don't worry about what other people think. What you need to be concerned about is what does God think? By the way, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? As a Christian, we are concerned about what God thinks, what God wants. We don't really care what other people say, what other people want. So Solomon says, don't give in to the, into the temptation to become rich and greedy, going after the loot, as it says there in verse 14. Come, throw in your lot with us. We'll share the loot. Don't be tempted by this, Solomon says. He says, don't believe the lie that it will be fun. That's what we just studied last week. Now, Solomon's not done with his son on this subject. He has addressed the issues of temptation. He's addressed the issue of peer pressure, being concerned more about what people think rather than what God thinks. Now he's talking about the thing that, that, that tempts us, and that, of course, is, is wealth, riches, or more, more specifically, this get-rich-quick scheme. How do we avoid the pitfalls of life? How do, and in particular, how do we avoid the pitfall of, of being greedy and going after wealth? Well, Solomon has given us a filter to use. It's Proverbs 1.7. This is what I call the Christian's decision filter. When you use this filter to make a decision, it will help you do, do the right thing. It'll help you to decide wisely in accordance with Scripture what God wants you to do. And here's the, here's the filter. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, I've got to point out something. When we're talking about fools, we're not talking about people with a low IQ. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about people who are maybe a little bit simple or people who, who are just maybe, you know, a little bit on the stupid side. I mean, that sounds like a cruel thing to say, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are morally bankrupt, 
People who don't believe in God, people who don't follow God, people who don't care about God. As the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's what he's talking about here. So people who are fools, people who are morally bankrupt, people who don't care about God and God's will and God's purpose, they are going to be consistently acting foolishly. They will consistently be making wrong choices, wrong decisions. If you want to make the right decision in life, then the Bible says you need to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Because again, that's something that people stumble on. We did talk about this a few weeks ago. Let me remind you what it means to fear God. It means that you are concerned about doing the will of God every time. Now, one of the things that we try to teach here at our church when it comes to discipleship is that, is that we are to be holy people, and holiness means that we are doing God's will every time. That's what we're talking about. When I was younger, and going, I went to a Pentecostal church, and I learned that there's a list of do's and don'ts. If you're a Christian, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, and if you're a Christian, you do this, you do this, you do this. The problem with this, folks, is that a person who's not even a Christian could, could stop doing all those things and do all these other things and not be converted. What we need to understand is that we need to be putting our, we need to have put our faith in Christ, and then we need to start obeying him. For many people, they have this notion, this idea, that all I have to do is say a sinner's prayer. All I have to do is embrace Jesus as my Savior. Or all I need to do is have a, a relationship with Christ. Let me remind you of something. Even Satan has a relationship with God. And it's a, it's a dangerous one. It's a relationship whereby Jesus stands as his judge and condemns him, and he will be thrown into the pit of hell. What we need to understand is that as Christians, we are called to obey him. He's your, he's your savior and he's your Lord. I heard a pastor preaching not that long ago saying, well, I became a Christian when I, was, when I was 10 years old and I made him my savior, but it wasn't until 10 or 15 years later that I made him my Lord. There's nothing in the scripture that supports that notion. When you become a Christian, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is what Paul says in, in Romans. He says, if you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. So we understand that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. It means that when we obey God, this is when we are wise, and this is when we have and can apply the knowledge of God to our lives. Foolish people reject the will of God. They don't care about the will of God. And I've seen many people call themselves Christians who attempt to live this way. You know, I'm just going to dabble in Christianity. I'll do the things I feel like doing, and I won't do the things I won't, don't feel like doing. I'm going to tell you right now, doing the will of God is not optional if you're a Christian. If you're not a believer, well, you know, you can really do whatever you want. But if Christ is your Lord, then you obey him. Every time. This is what holiness is. So, this is the filter we use. And so, for what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, and we're going to use this filter. And by the way, you can use this filter on everything. What's the will of God? What's the will of God? What's the will of God? The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Doing the will of God is the foundation of true knowledge. So, let's take a look at it. Verse 15. 
My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the people in the last passage of Scripture, these people that invite or tempt the son to go after wealth with wicked schemes. He's saying, don't go along with them. Stay far away from them. How many of us have gotten into trouble simply by being with the wrong people at the wrong time? We all know what that's about. I remember as a kid, hanging out with some of my friends, and one of them decides he's going to pick up a rock and try to break someone's window. The owner of the house runs out, and who's guilty? All of us, because we're all together. We're all culprits. How many of us have heard stories like that, of people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they're accused? And so Solomon is saying, stay away from people who are ungodly. Stay away from people who are fools, people who don't care about doing God's will every time. Stay away from them. You become like the people you hang out with. So if you're with people who are greedy, people who are stingy, well, you will probably end up exactly the same way. Hang out with gossips and slanderers, you'll end up doing the same thing. Hang out with people who don't care about God and won't be long before you don't care about God either. That's what the Bible says. In fact, Solomon says later on in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is why we tell people at our church, you need to belong to a good, godly, small group. The people who have your value system. Now, some of you may know it, may or may not know it, but Gloria and I, this past week, we're in New Jersey, and we were uh, with Jesse, and he married the girl that he met on Christian Mingle. And what he did is, yeah, that's right, uh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell Jesse one person clap. Uh, he went online and he made a list of all the things that he wanted in a wife. And he had to go as far as New Jersey to find the right one, but he found her. Now, here's the interesting thing, is that her father told her to go on Christian Mingle, and I told Jesse to go on Christian Mingle. She went, she went on Christian Mingle in the morning. By evening, Jesse had clicked on her profile, and then she was off, and they were on. And, and, and based on values, on Christian values. He wanted somebody who didn't drink alcohol, who didn't follow the culture of this world, who didn't follow the the things of this world. And we spent a week with her family. Imagine going to spend a week with people you'd never met before. And you know what? Gloria says, boy, that Christian mingle, mingle algorithm is amazing because our families just perfectly meshed. Why? because we have exactly the same value system. We, we, as families, both want to honor God in all that we say and all that we do. That's the most important thing. So folks, listen to me. If we're going to look at this verse and apply the Christian filter, the Christian decision filter, what is God's will? Well, we'd have to look at that and we'd have to say, well, obviously, God's will, then, is that we choose godly friends and a godly spouse. If someone comes to me and says, Pastor Alan, I want to get married, 
Great, who are you marrying? Well, my boyfriend, he's not a Christian. I can't help you. I'm not getting involved in that. I cannot marry somebody who's unequally yoked. You have to marry somebody who believes as you believe. Paul says, what fellowship does darkness have with light? There's no business. So the Christian decision filter says, I am going to hang out with godly people. I'm going to have godly friends. And by the way, and I'm going to go to a godly church where the gospel's preached. How many know that not all churches preach the gospel? I heard of one church where the pastor decided he was going to have an animal blessing day. So people could bring their pets to church to have them blessed. Is that really what God wants? I would say that they're already blessed. They don't need you to get the priest to anoint it with oil or with anything. Could you imagine Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount saying, bring your pets and I'll bless them? It's scandalous, isn't it? We, we know instinctively that this is wrong. Why? Because God has called us to preach the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you need to belong to a godly church where the gospel is preached and where people do not believe in a prosperity gospel, where people believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, verse 12, these people, these same friends, evil friends, they rush to commit evil deeds. They hurry to commit murder. What's being inferred here is that no one is doing any thinking. Hey, stop and think about that for a moment. Isn't that what gets us into trouble? We make these rash, these spontaneous decisions. These, we, we just, uh, we're impetuous. We, we step out there and we're, we're, we're being reckless and impulsive. That's when we get into trouble. And, and Solomon is saying, let's use the filter now. What's God's will? Because when you act rashly, Without thinking, you're like the man in the Old Testament who made a rash vow to God that, that he would sacrifice whatever came out of the house and it turned out to be his daughter. How stupid is that? Think about it. We get into trouble. We make wrong decisions. We spend money unwisely. We exercise greed and greediness when we don't stop to think and to pray. See, we're using that filter. What's God's will? Well, I've got to think about this, and I have to pray about it, and I've got to know that this is the will of God. And if I'm not sure it's the will of God, I'm not going to do it. And if you have doubts, you don't do it. You don't move. You don't make a move. Why? Because as Paul says in Romans, if you do anything out of doubt, it's sin. Every decision we make needs to come from a heart of faith because we know it's God's will. Now, can I remind everybody of what faith is? Faith is believing God and doing what he says. But as long as you're acting rashly, you're rushing and hurrying to make the move, got to go here, do this, spend this, spend that. Next thing you know, you've blown your fortune and you've got nothing left. Wow. How many infomercials have you seen? where they're saying, this is one-time offer. If you don't move now, this will be your last chance. You'll never get this again. Send your phone right now. Get your credit card out. You've got, you've got 60 seconds left, and if you don't move now, you're going to miss out. 
I get phone calls all the time, and I'm sure everybody here does too. They're saying, Mr. Dunkel, this is your lucky day. You are going to get a special cruise, and if you act now, we're going to deduct 50%. You're going to half off, but you have to do it now. If you don't do it now, you can't have it. And I'll say, well, you know, let me think about it. No, Mr. Dunkef, if you don't do it now, that's fine. I'm not going to take it then. I'm going to miss out on this deal of a lifetime. You see how Satan works. He loves to tempt us into making decisions that, that appeal to our, our sin nature. It appeals to the flesh. I want, I want, I have, I want to have. I remember hearing about a man who was getting mad at his wife because every time she went shopping, she'd bring home all kinds of stuff. And she, he said, dear, we've, we've already got like 50 of these things. Do we need any more? But she said, you can't believe the deal I got. And if, if I didn't buy it, I, you think of how much money we would lose. But meanwhile, they can't use any of this stuff. They couldn't use it in a lifetime. What we need to do is learn to have the wisdom it says, I'm going to do God's will, not my will. I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to hurry. I'm going to wait for God. How many know today that God knows best? You know that? God knows best. And God, we're told in Scripture that God wants the best for us. Don't you believe that God's going to lead you to make decisions that are the best? But as long as you're trusting yourself and panicking, Listen, the minute you feel panicked about making a decision, that should be a big red flag. Run away. R- run far away. This is a mistake. Now Solomon wants his son to get an idea of how foolish these friends of his are. And he says, well, look at the bird. If a bird sees a trap being set, the bird is smart enough to stay away. Has anybody ever heard the term, you bird brain? You've heard that? He's a tiny little bird, tiny little head, tiny little brain. But Solomon is saying these birds are actually smarter than your friends. Because these friends, these people set an ambush, but it turns out it's for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. The birds are smart enough to recognize a trap. Are you, rec- are you wise enough to, to recognize a trap? Well, you are going to be wise enough to recognize a trap of Satan if you're using the Christian decision filter. What's the will of God? But these people, they have no interest, whatever, in using the Christian decision filter. And they end up hurting themselves. They end up ambushing themselves. Talk about stupid. Has anybody ever heard of Bernie, Bernie Madoff? Back in the, back, I, I'm sure going back to the, to the 80s and 90s, he began an investment firm. And he was offering a return on investments better than anybody else could. It really was a get-rich promise. Exactly what these friends that, he's, that Solomon's talking about, the get-rich promise. Bernie Madoff used what we call a Ponzi scheme. And what would happen is that he got, he, he got investors to invest. And what he did is he paid, when he had to do a payout, he paid investors with money that was coming in from other clients rather than from actual profits. And at one point, it was estimated that he was dealing with $65 billion with, with such famous people such as uh, Kevin Bacon, and Steven Spielberg, and a number of, of NFL and also the, 
um, basketball superstars, all these people losing multiplied millions and millions and millions of dollars from this Ponzi scheme. Now remember what Solomon said to his son. He said, such is the fate of all greedy people, people who are greedy for money because it robs them of life. This whole time that Bernie Madoff is doing this, this magic act with his, with his money, he knows that he's going to get caught. He knows that at some point it's all going to fall apart. Now, he's living the high life. He's, he's living rich and living high. But do you think he's enjoying it? He told his sons about the scheme, about what was going on. For years and years, he was living with this dark cloud over him. With all his wealth, with all the pleasure, with all the things that you can do when you've got millions, he couldn't enjoy any of it. He was depressed, he was scared, he was worried. He lived a frightened man waiting to be caught. And of course, he did get caught in the, in the mid-2000s when we had the last collapse. And he was, he was charged and given 150 years in prison for his crime. Now, he was an old man. There's no way on earth that he could possibly serve 150 years. But you see, he set an ambush for himself. And that's what greed does. You ambush yourself. When you live for yourself only, you refuse to share, you refuse to give. This is why in our church, we give people opportunity to give. I'm not afraid to talk about it because it's biblical. This is what God wants. He wants you to give. Not to, not so, to make me rich, but so that the work of God can go on and for the sake of of your soul. Giving is the antidote to greed. So here's Bernie Madoff, 150 years in prison, publicly disgraced, despised and hated by everyone because he represented the greed of the era. But what nobody talked about, what no reporter pointed out, was that all those people who were investing with Bernie were just as greedy because he was offering, making an offer that seemed too good to be true. We shouldn't be shocked at this. This is the road that greed takes us down, whether you're rich or poor. Oh, how do we apply the decision filter, the Christian decision filter? Well, every decision you make it's got to be according to God's will. And listen to this. If the decisions you make are not according to God's will, then the Bible declares that they're stupid decisions. Every decision you make needs to be according to the will of God, whether, whether it has to do with money or who you marry or don't marry or, 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 or how you spend your time. It's got to be according to the will of God. Solomon's conclusion on all this is the such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Bernie Madoff's life, horrible life. Just a horrible, horrible life. Couldn't even enjoy it. Whenever we go to Burundi, we have Burundians that tell us they want to come to Canada. And I say to them, Canada's too dangerous. And they'll laugh and they say, no, no, not as dangerous as Burundi. People die here all the time. I said, in Burundi, you may lose your, your physical life, but in Canada, you could lose your soul. Because of the greed 
because of the wealth. We've known so many people who have come to Canada, immigrated, they came from the country, strong Christians, they get here, and they're taken up with the wealth of this culture. And before long, they forget all about God. In their quest for the American, the North American dream, they lose it all. Oh, the greedy for money, they, they have no life. Their greed robs them. When I know it brings you to life, it's giving. It's sharing. It's doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't get at it. And I'm going to tell you something. As long as you're investing in eternity, guess what happens? Your heart is there. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. But for so many of us, our heart is in this world. And the last thing we want is for Jesus to return. God, I'm having too much fun. I just got my new house. I just got my new car. I just got my investments. And Lord, I haven't been to Hawaii yet. I wanted to buy a yacht. This world's not our home. This is what, this is what the, the, the great men of the Old Testament were known for. And the great women of the Old Testament. Hebrews 11, read it yourself. They were looking for another home. This world's not my home, they said. We're looking for a better place. We're citizens of heaven. So someone might ask this morning, Pastor, is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to have money? Well, I would submit to you, well, first of all, I reject that premise altogether. It's the wrong question for a Christian. What is the right question for a Christian? The right question is this. Remember Proverbs 1.7. The fear of God is the foundation. It's the foundation of your life. The will of doing the will of God, that's the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. The right question for a Christian is this. What is the will of God for my life? Now, for some people, they want to be defined by the term poor or rich. James says, let the poor say I'm rich, let the rich say I'm poor. This is not what defines us as Christians. What defines us as Christians has nothing to do with how much money we do or don't have in our pocket. What defines us as Christians is that we're doing God's will all the time. God doesn't really care how much money you have. What he cares is what do you do with it. And there's not many people that can handle money, quite frankly. This is what Jesus said. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. God knows our hearts. God knows that for too many of us, we can't handle the wealth. We can't handle a lot of money. And for that reason, in his, listen to this, in his mercy, he does not allow us to ever get to that place. He gives us just enough. And isn't this what it says in Proverbs? God, don't give me too much, because if you give me too much, I'll forget about you. And God, don't give me too little, because if you give me too little, I might rob somebody, I might steal something and bring shame on your name. God, just give me what I need. And by the way, this is exactly what God promises us. But even in what we have, we need to give and not be greedy. Because look at this, folks. We are not defined by the term poor or by the term rich. We are defined by the term servant, or as it says in the Greek, slave. We are stewards. We are servants of Almighty God. And someday, when he returns for us, he's going to ask us the question, what did you do 
with what I entrusted to you. And what you, what you do with what's been entrusted to you will determine what Jesus Christ says to you. I don't know about you, but I do not want to hear Jesus say, depart from me, you wicked servant. I want, him, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me close with this last verse, and then we'll pray. In Luke 12, 48b, Jesus says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Everybody needs to go to a poor country to just get some perspective on how rich we are here. And I fear that it's not just immigrants who are in danger of losing their soul, but it's many of us who have grown up in this country with wealth. I know some of you think, well, Pastor, you don't know how poor I am. Yeah, well, go to Africa and you see what real poverty looks like. We've been given much. And folks, this is not a suggestion. This is the teaching of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. To whom much is given, much will be required. And so I can tell you that Gloria and I, when we look at what we have, we try to be faithful in giving far above and beyond 10%. 10% is, is, is really a meaningless number. What matters is, are you doing the will of God? Do you fear God? Or are you following the impulses of your own heart? Because the impulses of our heart are always evil until our heart is surrendered to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you today for your gospel. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We stand before you, O God, as your slaves. But even in saying that, Lord, we hear Christ saying, but you're also my friends. God, help us to understand that as a friend of God, And as a slave of God, we are called, Lord, to give our lives and all that we have into your service. And God, we want to hear you say someday, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, thank you today for teaching us how to live in this life, how to overcome the pitfalls, and how to have a great life. Oh God, help us, we pray, not to give in to greed because greed robs us of life but rather help us to surrender to the one who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go with the blessing of God. Amen.